Chapter Nineteen of One Commonplace Day by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Parallels. Meantime, the conversation which was being held in Miss Wainwright's parlor was not such as as usual at prayer meetings. For that matter, it was not yet the hour for meeting, and some remark of Miss Hunter had drifted the talk into the channel which led Mr. Jerome Morrow, who was a member of the same church with Mr. Cleveland, to ask this question. "'That sounds, sir, as though you wanted to make the temperance question a party issue. Would you cast your vote in that line?' "'Would I vote for a thing that I have prayed for, for six years, do you mean? What would you think of my praying if I did not?' ah but that is begging the question isn't it a man might pray for a thing and yet honestly believe that the time had not come to get it certainly he might but if he had prayed for a man to help him in the direction of deliverance and the day came when the man stood at the door ready to help if only some one would unlock it and let him in in order to be consistent wouldn't i have to help unlock it but if you were sure you couldn't unlock it Mr. Morrow said, smiling, but taking up the metaphor, and meantime there was another door and another man that the best class of people were willing to let in, shouldn't you throw your help where it will tell? You need three doors to that building, said Miss Hunter, her keen eyes flashing appreciation of the coming argument. Both gentlemen laughed. Very well, said Mr. Morrow, let us have three doors, a man at each. The third man neither you nor I approve. For the sake of the argument, we will say that of the two you prefer the second man, and that you have good reason to believe that if you will unite your strength to mine, we can open the door for him. But if you will persist in your first choice, you will accomplish nothing for your man, and hinder me, and give the third door the right of way. That is the way the thing looks to me." and the gentleman sat back, well pleased with the clearness of his position. "'I will grant your statements, so far as you have gone,' Mr. Cleveland said, speaking with the quiet assurance of one who had been taken over this ground a great many times, and was familiar with every foot of the way. "'But there are certain important considerations which you have omitted. I am a Christian, and must look at this, as well as at everything else, from a Christian standpoint.' I see, from my position, a giant wrong standing in the way, blocking the wheels of the gospel of Christ, slaughtering souls whom Christ died to save. The man whom I would admit is pledged against this wrong, has been working for years to rid the country of it. For the sake of argument, we will say that the man whom you would admit winks at it, turns his back on efforts to suppress it the third man boldly admits it into the country as one of its institutions now in the sight of god i am pledged to stand by the right if i honestly believe this giant wrong to be the force which the christian world is called to put down i must in every possible way give my push i may not be strong enough to move the giant a single inch he may laugh at me for the attempt i may need your help and your neighbor's help to do this thing if neither of you will give it to me if instead you persist in tugging at that middle door and fail on whom does the responsibility rest because the country is left to the third man on me who in all good conscience before god gave my push where i solemnly believe he told me to or on you who said this right thing cannot be done now 
so we will do one thing which is a little wrong, in order to save ourselves from that which is a good deal wrong. Does it never occur to you that if a great company of you should do the thing which is perfectly true and right, there would be no danger from the third door? But I do not accept your premises, said Mr. Morrow, with a touch of irritation in his voice. I do not say that the vote I would cast is a little wrong. I believe it to be the best one which can be cast. Very well, if you have gone to God for light, and you believe in all sincerity that this is what he would have you do, I don't urge you to the contrary. The fact is, my friend, if you do not believe in temperance to be a great sin, and the selling of alcohol to be a monstrous crime, there is no argument between us. But I do think just those things. I am as strong a temperance man as that. I would be glad if there were never to be another drop of the stuff sold. What I say is that we can gain nothing by pushing in that direction now, because we know there are not enough of us, and we can lose a great deal. Mr. Cleveland shook his head. Untenable ground, my friend. If this thing is wrong, and you and I do what we can toward removing it, we have nothing to do with the results. Let the men who see the wrong, and refuse to add their strength to overthrow it, shoulder the awful responsibility of failure. It is certainly removed from us. The other day I heard a woman telling that down in Watervale, where Mr. Durant was working last spring, there had been more liquor drank this summer than ever before. She said the saloon-keepers were so angry about the temperance excitement that they just gave away their liquors for weeks, treated everybody who came in, and started some men to drinking who had been sober before and she gave it as her opinion that an excitement which produced such results did more harm than good. It was Miss Hunter's clear, firm voice that made this statement. Mr. Morrow looked over at her with a sudden gleam of interest. This sounded like an ally for his side from an unexpected quarter. "'I should think that there could not be two opinions about that,' he said quickly. Mr. Cleveland laughed. I like to hear such arguments, he said. It would seem as though their utter absurdity would give us recruits from the other side. Imagine the soldiers in the revolution folding their hands and letting the enemy alone, because every attempt on their part roused a volley of shot from the other side and killed and wounded some of ours. What an independence our country would have achieved had the war been managed on such principles." then the Bible is mistaken when it says, By their fruits ye shall know them. I am sure, from Miss Hunter's statement, the fruits of that temperance effort were anything but cheering. Mr. Cleveland's opponent was evidently growing cross, but Mr. Cleveland himself was perfectly at ease. I think the verse holds true, Mr. Morrow. It applies to Satan's kingdom as well as to the Master's. You would hardly mean to be understood that you think these were the fruits of the temperance effort, would you? I understand them to be the fruits of Satan's rage against the work. The heathen rage still, and will doubtless continue to do so for years to come, unless, indeed, God's people fall into line, and accept him as their leader, instead of trying to find a more expedient way. Mr. Morrow moved restlessly in his chair. He was a younger man than Mr. Cleveland in fact, had but just begun to vote at all, and of course he was of the opinion that wisdom would die with him. But do you mean to be understood that expediency has nothing to do with the affairs of this country? 
I beg your pardon, but I think that thing is nonsense. Of course, one must determine whether, all things considered, this is the wise way to take for the country's good. Why, the Bible says that even God winked at the times of men's ignorance. We must use common sense in these matters, and go no further than the people will go with us. What is the use of leading where people will not follow? Then he had the benefit of a pair of searching eyes fixed fully on him for at least a minute before Mr. Cleveland spoke with deliberation. Do you really mean to use God's forbearance as a ruler, his infinite patience with ignorance, to prove that a man who is not ignorant may do what is just a little wrong, in order to avert what he conceives to be a greater wrong? But I say it is not wrong. I tell you I deny the premises. Mr. Cleveland smiled. He began to realize that he was arguing with a man who was dancing around in a peck measure, and forever coming back to the same point. "'Very well,' he said. "'Then there is no argument between us, I suppose. If it is honest ignorance on your part, you having done all you could for enlightenment, God will forgive you. Of course I fail to see how you can pray that intemperance may be banished from our land, because your actions say that you consider that question of minor importance. There are others before which it must give way." To all this talk Lloyd McLean had been an amused listener. He had not reached the point where he considered his own convictions very strong in any direction. But he offered the next suggestion. I am not very well posted in biblical literature, I confess, but isn't there such a thing recognized, even by Christians, as expediency? He was looking directly at Mr. Cleveland, and that gentleman answered him. Undoubtedly there is, but it is where there is no moral question involved. I think you will fail to find an instance in the Bible which can be made to say, This thing is right, but then there are difficulties involved. It will open the way for things which are not right. Therefore I will do what is wrong, in order that this other wrong may be avoided. How would this method of reasoning have worked in the old days? Imagine those three Hebrews being interviewed by certain of their friends after the image had been set up on the plains of Dura. Now Shadrach, says one, I sympathize with you in this matter. You know I do. I don't believe in bowing down before that detestable image any more than you do. But don't you see the time has not yet come for us to assert ourselves? We have enemies, and they are in league with the king." As surely as you insist on defying that command, you will be thrown into the fiery furnace. Nor will that be all. The whole affair will incense the king against our people, and any effort that we might make towards religious freedom would be set back for years. Don't you see you would do no good but incalculable harm? Cannot you hear the discussion? I can seem to see the whole thing. But, says Shadrach, this thing is a sin, it is forbidden by our God. Oh, we know it is a sin, we are not apologizing for it for a moment. We are just trying to show you that the time has not come to touch it, and that an effort to do so would result only in harm. What we advise is that you drop down on your knees at the sound of the music, and appear to worship with the rest. Our God looks at the heart, you know, and he will understand that it is just a matter of expediency. Mr. Morrow at this point interrupted the speaker. "'Do you really profess, Mr. Cleveland, that you think you have drawn a case parallel to the issues of which we are speaking?' 
sufficiently parallel for my purpose in illustration mr cleveland said pleasantly i am not holding any argument with the honest heathen who believe it is right to bow before the image it is only with those who are in sympathy with shadrach and his friends but who think the time has not yet come to act that i am arguing oh there are points that do not match the figure of course you do not need to be reminded that such illustrations are not perfect if one could be as sure of results as the old hebrews were it might do lloyd mclean said musingly mr cleveland turned to him they were not certain my friend not i told you i was not very well posted but i thought they were not at all one of the grandest reaches of human faith shines forth in their but if not our god whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace but if not be it known unto thee o king that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up we know that our god is able our faith takes in that fact but if this is not his will and we are to glorify him by defeat so be it we will not do wrong to save ourselves or our nation whereunto this argument would have tended will not be known for at this point miss wainwright who had been called from the room some moments before returned and following her was john hartzell there was almost consternation on some faces when the man who shambled in after their hostess was recognized for what purpose had he come mr cleveland was the first to recover himself and to announce that it was the hour for opening the meeting and lloyd mclean having an open hymn-book passed promptly to him with a finger pointing to the number at once began to sing it was a meeting to remember yet the thing which made it especially memorable was what seemed to the listeners a mistake i think said mr morrow when the conversation as to ways of working for temperance had become somewhat general i think that our hope rests with the young we have spent a great deal of time and money on hopeless cases we ought to turn our attention almost exclusively to our young men and save them save them before they are in apparent danger it is only occasionally that a man who has become an habitual drunkard reforms everybody instantly thought of john hartzell and everybody wished that mr morrow would not speak such words as these they might be sadly true they were certainly sadly out of place why couldn't the man think that perhaps he was stabbing a lately formed resolve in the breast of one of those hopeless ones mr cleveland glanced in john's direction his head was drooping and his whole attitude said yes i am one of them i know that my case is hopeless brother morrow it was mr cleveland's voice i beg your pardon for interrupting but i want to challenge what that seems to say i know you do not mean to limit the power of god yet we must be careful how we seem to do it there have been many cases which men call hopeless whom god has saved we should not have had a john b gow if someone had not worked and prayed and waited and tried again and again look at durant the temperance worker he was one of the hopeless drunkards he heard a man say of him that fellow would be hardly worth saving if it could be done and it can't i tell you we talk too much about hard cases and hopeless cases unless we mean on the human side god is supreme in power 
and the man who is willing to be saved can be, no matter how low he has fallen. He spoke rapidly, growing eager as he talked. He wanted John Hartzell, and John Hartzell's wife, and John Hartzell's sister, to take in the strength of this thought. No man can fall so low that I cannot pray and work hopefully for him, because he may be one who is to show us the power of God in the world, mighty to save, as mighty to-day as it ever was. He looked over at Kate as he spoke. She had grasped the thought in its fullness. It could be seen in her face. Her eyes were shining like stars. End of chapter 19